there are lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome to the weekend, my good friends. Wolfgang Klein is here with you, uh, flying solo today. Jack has taken the week off. Good for him. That's what you do in the summer. You take some time off. And, well, that's what a lot of folks do on Wall Street as well. And as such, uh, trading desks get thinner, uh, activity drops. And when volume drops, volatility often rises. Uh, and certainly this has been one volatile week, of course. The Dow down, what, 800 points uh, on Wednesday. It's worst week since 2019 began, but it's par for the course. Each and every year, my friends, I must remind you of this. Each and every year, the market will witness two, three, four, five percent pullbacks, probably one or two, 10 percent pullbacks, and then every you know, three, four, five years, a 20 percent pullback kicks into gear. Uh, and that's called a bear market. Uh, so the academics tell us it must be around 20% or greater to be a bear market. So since 2009 uh, cycle began, we had two corrections of 19.8%. Uh, I call those bear markets because I like to round up as we were taught in school. And so 19.8 is 20 in my opinion. So I do believe we've had two bear markets. And the second one occurred, I believe, in 2016. And uh, anyways, but I just finished writing a piece and I've sent it around uh, um, I circulate it to those who uh, wish to receive my material. And if you're one of those people, you want to receive some material from us, you can always request to be put on our list. Uh, WolfgangKlein.com is how you would find us. But the title of the piece is, Do You Want to Become Rich? And listeners, this is targeted to each and every one of you. Uh, those who are currently working, if you want to become rich, here's what you need to do. First and foremost, you need to focus on making money your way. If you are a plumber, do more plumbing. If you are a security guard, secure some more. If you're a policeman, continue and get some overtime. It doesn't matter what you do. Just do it better. And each and every year, do your best to get yourself a raise. Increase your income. That's the first thing you need to do. If you make hundred grand a year, and a lot of Torontonians do, 40 years of work is a $4 million flow of income, which means you're also the most valuable asset around you. Uh, second thing you need to do if you want to become rich is manage your spending. This is not complicated, and you can control your spending. Again, I've, I've demonstrated on my website. I've mentioned this on the show before. Five dollars a day saved for a forty-year period uh, at a nine percent rate of return equates into almost three quarters of a million dollars. So, if you can save five dollars here, five dollars there, reduce maybe your automotive spend because that is a huge spend. I would suggest the average Canadian on their car, all in depreciation, gasoline, et cetera, et cetera, they're spending eight or ten thousand dollars a year. Uh, welcome to the shared economy. Uh, we'll be speaking about that later in the show as well with Michael Graham. So, we're going to control our spending. We're going to make more money, and then you need to do point number three, which is to save your money. Each and every paycheck, friends, you must save. Uh, once you got some money saved, you must learn to do step number four, which is invest your money. Put it to work. Don't leave it under the mattress and don't leave it in a bank account. Learn to put it to work. And that's the tricky part. And that's what I do for a living. So uh, I say to my clients, your responsibility is to earn income, reduce your spending, increase your savings. And by the way, part of your spending is paying the tax man each and every year. And that's an easy way to reduce your spending is to reduce your taxes payable. And that's where the RSP comes in, uh, a slight pivot over there. But I'd say clients must make money, 
They must reduce their spending and they must save money, at which point they should hand those savings over to a qualified individual like myself and have them put you on a long-term plan, uh, a 20, 30, 40-year plan. This is how you become rich. You don't become rich investing in the latest pot stock. You don't become rich betting against America. You don't become rich exiting and entering the market at every um, whiff of a 5% move. No, no, no. That is confusion. That is distortion. Um, that That is just pure nonsense. Focus on what you can focus on and find a qualified person to work with you because if you do, magic will occur. And I'm speaking about the magic of compounding. Warren Buffett has made the bulk of his money in the last 10, 15, 20 years as the market, of course, continues to allow allow his 60-year strategy uh, unfold. And that's what you need to do, my good friends. You need to think longer term. So th- this applies to each and every one of you. I can't stress these points enough. Uh, I'm going to speak at a higher level uh, in the show. Uh, I want to, of course, always bring it back down to you. You want to become rich, what can you do? Let's go through it one more time. Make money. Go to work and earn a living. Get educated. Invest in yourself, and you will probably get a better job and make more money. Control your spending. If you, a, a dollar saved is a dollar earned. Control your spending, and especially the tax man. Number three, save your money. And as your income increases, increase your savings. How much should I save? The wealthy barber says at least 10%. Pay yourself first. This is not new material, but we don't do it. Uh, and again, I'm going to go back to, there's four steps in here. Most Canadians do one or two of those four steps. Fedicom, not a Fedicomplete, it is not complete. If you want to become rich, you must do all four things. You must make money, you must manage your spending, you must increase your savings, and you must learn to put your money to work so your money can start to work for you. It's sure working for Warren Buffett. It's working for me, too. Uh, probably working for my next guest, Kevin Muir. Uh, he is a uh, macro strategist. He's a writer. He's a blogger. Uh, he's a very, very smart man on Bay Street, so much so that some of those big banks often quote him. I love it when they do that. Uh, so he's going to join us, uh, help us focus on point number four, invest your savings. Your job, make money, reduce your spending, and save it. That's your job. I'm going to take care of point number four. This is Hi-Fi Radio. I'm Wolfgang Klein. More of the show on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Good morning. It is Wolfgang Klein. Host of Hi-Fi Radio, the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Hope your day's off to a good start. You want to make some money? Hang out with us. Uh, That's what this show's about. Yep. But the market, my good friends, yes, it can play with your mind. And um, as a seasoned investor and a seasoned advisor, I strongly encourage you to turn it off. Don't allow the market to dictate your day-to-day activity. Focus on what you can focus on, which is... How much you earn at your job, which you can increase by going back to school, by working harder, by getting into promotion, et cetera, et cetera. How much you spend, you can control that, reduce it, and then save the delta. Save money. You must be saving money uh, so that you get to point number four, which is investing it. And this is where it gets tricky because the average investor is not qualified to deal with the market because the market will play mind games with you. Uh, And, well, I am... uh, 54 years old. I've been playing with the markets for about, I would say, 35 years, a long time. I bought my first stock uh, when I was 19 years old. It was Magna. 
And you know something? <laughs> 30 years later, that stock actually worked out quite well. Uh, dividends included. Good Canadian auto manufacturing company. Anyways, uh, it's been a tough week. Dow down, what, 800 points on uh, Wednesday. Uh, it is August. Uh, trading desks are thinner. Uh, got a very, very bright man on the show. And the last time he was on the show, uh, he was bearish, but he had a, bi- a bullish bias to him. And if I recall, that was... Uh, in December of 2018. Is that the last time you're on the show, Kevin? Has it been that long? It seems, I think it's been that long, and your counterpart was so bearish. He was so negative. And uh, you said, you know, I expect a, a, a Santa Claus rally. It could be quite fierce. And I remember that. I said, I'm in your camp. Because uh, I was buying equities uh, uh, those days leading into Boxing Day. Um, not as much as I should have, but I certainly was a, was a buyer. I was not a seller. And it was a tough quarter of 2018, but boy, did that market snap back hard. Uh, so much so it made new all-time highs. And again, that's where the average Canadian, the average individual out there, they can get whipsawed. They can get shaken out and only to see the market elevate higher. Uh, so, Kevin, you know, let us talk about the market itself. Um, what do you make of it right here, right now? And uh, what's your uh, forecast for the remainder of 2019? Well, the stock market isn't actually been as interesting as the bond market. Huh. Good point. Yeah, the bond market's where all the action's been. You know, it was only six months ago that uh, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was, what, three and a quarter? Yeah. We're now 160 or something like that. The, the rally, it's it's running like it's stole something, and it's just taken off. And it's really um, caused a lot of professional investors to question what how they should be allocating and what they should be doing and what the signal is that this is sending about the economy and the stock market. You know, I, I, Kevin, you, you bring up a very, very good point. Uh, and I had a little bit of work prepped uh, on this, investing in a negative interest rate world. Again, let's take this home uh, to the average uh, listener out there. Uh, most of our listeners have mortgages. Uh, right now, they are paying, I don't know, three and a half percent on their mortgage. Uh, if they were to move to Copenhagen, they would be able to receive a negative interest rate on their mortgage. Folks, you understand what I'm talking about here? You borrow $300,000 and you pay back $295,000. That's what negative interest rates are. It is absolutely generational. I said it's generational what's taking place right now. We have to pay attention to this. And I will say this is playing mind games with, you're right, a lot of professional money managers because this is confusing. And Kevin, let's go back to it. The bond market, because I always talk about the stock market. I'm overweight stocks. I always prefer being an owner rather than a lender. But the bond market this year, no one knows this. It's up 23%. The the 20-year treasury or the 20-year government bond plus or the 20 right to the 30 if you buy each year, it's up 22% this year. It's outperformed the stock market two to one. And you would have had to buy that piece of paper, Kevin, uh, a, a year ago or January with a coupon or with a yield to maturity of what about three and a half percent uh who would have backed up the truck on a three and a half percent piece of paper when you could have simply bought the royal bank clipped a four percent um uh, dividend uh, get the dividend tax credit and hopefully get some growth but most of us were wrong that's exactly why uh, markets can rally as hard as they do when people aren't in a position and they say that'll never turn out and all of a sudden the unprobable becomes highly probable well yeah and what you said it was generational and actually there's a lot more going on to the bond market than just generational because these are numbers we've never seen 
in the history of interest rates, we've never had negative rates like this. Yep. So this is truly unprecedented, and it's and it's throwing a lot of loops into everyone's thinking about how do you go and price stocks when you have negative interest rates. But again, let's talk about that, Kevin, because usually uh, when interest rates go down, people are willing to pay more for a dollar of earnings. It's called the P.E. ratio. I don't want to confuse you folks, but basically when interest rates go down, more money moves to the stock market. Common sense is, do I want to make 3% or 2% on my money? Do I want to make 8 or 9%? And you can't do it in the bond market, we thought. <laughs> Boy, were we wrong there because the long bond did rally 20-some-odd percent. But the stock market has been the obvious place to go to make that 8 9%. Um, as rates fall, is, is it a greater fool theory? And uh, I, I, I'm wondering, Kevin, $12 trillion of international sovereign debt, what I mean is $12 trillion, friends, of government debt is trading with a negative rate of return. Um, and that's, well, that's actually after, like, that's nominal. That's not real. So don't forget there's some inflation. Correct. So if you're and actually, there's some taxes on the coupon. That well, yeah. You are getting a coupon on that on that negative yielding bond. It is paying. It's not a zero coupon bond. It's paying you interest, and so you're being taxed on that interest. Um, you are, there is inflation taking place, but negative yields probably speak to deflation. See again, friends. I want to. I want the audience to understand what's going on here in a big picture. The big picture is Japan has been in a deflationary spiral. Kevin, for how long? 25, 30 years? For sure. It's been a couple of decades. Germany was the first nation that I became aware of to have negative yielding paper. And the reason being, because America was in turmoil a few years ago with its debt ceiling and everything, and, and, and Germany continued to reign quite supreme economically, uh, able to lower yields and continue to attract uh, required debt. But how long do you, do you believe Germany's been running negative yields for? It's been on and off. I, yeah, I it's been that. a couple of years at least A now. couple of years, eh? But uh, it's actually not a good sign. So you're talking about, and you're saying that Germany's gotten these negative yields because money's being attracted. There's no way that that's actually positive for their economy, and it's actually throwing a wrench into their whole banking system and causing all sorts of problems. Here's the problem with banks, and again, I want to go back to uh, the listener out there. Uh, if, if interest rates continue to fall, banks are not going to be able to make as much or perhaps any money on lending you money, and if they're not going to make money lending you money, they're going to stop lending you money. And then we go into a recession. That's very important stuff. Look, I'm going to pick up on that topic because we don't believe we're going into a recession. Uh, stay tuned to Hi-Fi Radio and the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. And Wolfgang Klein will tell you why no recession this year. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. That works. Yeah. The Stevie Wonder. So, interest rates around the world are going into uncharted territory of negative yield. Um, getting some mixed signals out of the United States as to how much they're going to lower interest rates. And, of course, then the Bank of Canada, is it going to follow suit? At the start of the year, the answer was no. But uh, I guess we are all sheep and we live in a flat world. And... Uh, yeah, things move pretty quick. Uh, and it was once said, uh, when America gets a cold, Canada gets a flu. Uh, that, that's talking uh, negative. There's no sign of a recession. I go back to easy money is is certainly here. And it's here to stay. It's getting easier. And that's the point about recession. When money is available and easy, 
it's game on. The question is, if banks stop making money on those loans, uh, that's the whole talk about the yield inverting. Does this matter to you, my good friends? It's topical. It's worthy of discussion. It's good to be educated. But I repeat, your job, if you want to become wealthy, is make more money, reduce your spending, save your money, hire a pro and put it to work and let the money then begin working for you. That's what you need to focus on. But a uh, topic of conversation is quite, quite fascinating. Negative interest rates, new concept. And again, our, our chief strategist, Tony Dwyer, said this is generational. And I want to make this point about generational, Kevin, because you, you understand this, because some things move pretty erratically. Pot stocks come and go. Tech stocks have this wreck. But when it comes to interest rates, when it comes to currencies, this is really long cycle. We call it secular stuff that tends to hang around a lot longer than we anticipated. In other words, interest rates have been falling from 19% in 1980, 82, all the way down to negative yields, what, 40 years later. They can only go into the abyss so far. At some point, Kevin, they're going to have to go positive again. Uh, and most of the world still is positive yield. In other words, you can, you can make some money on a debt instrument with various governments. Uh, don't lend to the Ruskies. I wouldn't rent to lend to the Russians. you probably get high yield there. Uh, and well, I know Indian debt would pay you about 6%, but it has that price point for a reason. On a different note, isn't it funny? Eh? The, um, I caught some European debt. I think it was Greek debt. I think Greek yields actually fell below American yields. Of, of, of all countries around the world, the, those who are so heavily in debt, who were not paying back their their, their payments to the EU, uh, well over their deficit spend, their debt is now yielding less than U.S. Treasury debt. That makes absolutely no sense. And ironically, a good friend of mine, Steve Steph, Reed, has put a note on my desk this morning poking some fun um, at me, saying that the uh, uh, Greek stock market uh, poised to be the best performance in, its, in, in 20 years. Because uh, it's of what base, right? Well, don't forget Greece actually recently elected a new government, and there's actually a lot of positive things happening in Greece. It's one of those stories that uh, it was so down and out and uh, things had gone so poorly for so long, and now they have a new guy in there that's actually looking like he's pro-business, and it's, it's one of these things that it might surprise you. Oh, Oppa. Well, good for you. Well, I was yeah. in Greece. Greece is a beautiful country, beautiful people, um, and I think it's the politics that really gets in the way of people. And I think that's the case in so much of Europe. Wonderful, wonderful mindset towards life, but they get these funky politics that really wreak havoc, and it gets into social spend. It gets into entitlements. Uh, well, it, it gets into, hey, don't take that away from us. Just give us more. Things change. Times change. And people don't necessarily want to change. And we know governments are very, very slow to change. Well, the real problem in Europe, uh, Wolf, is the fact that they, the EU, the Brussels, has kind of instituted these rules about how much they're allowed to spend. So if you go look at the United States, the United States, with Trump's tax cut, ran a deficit as a percent of GDP of 4.5%. Mm-hmm. So the EU is getting all mad at the Italians saying that you're not allowed to run a big deficit. Do you know what that deficit number was? It's under 3%, isn't it? Yeah, it was 2.5%. Yeah. So they wanted to run a deficit that was actually um, like less spending than what the Americans were doing. Yeah, almost and, half, and, almost half. Yeah, and, and Germany was going nuts. Germany is running a surplus of one and a half percent. That's what those Germans do, yes. And that's, this, that's what they do. And this is the problem, that basically the government is starving the uh, European economies because they're not spending enough. And we're, so, we're trying to fix all of our problems with monetary policy instead of fiscal policy. 
And going back huh. to your point about Tony, uh, you know, Dwyer, and the fact that he's talking about this being generational, yes, I agree that we are in a big secular move, but eventually those things change and they shift. And I'll remind you that in the 80s, you, you mentioned the fact that uh, the long bond was yielding, what, 19% in 82? There was a very famous strategist by the name of Henry Kaufman. He worked for Salman Brothers. They called him Dr. Doom because he was always thought there was going to be inflation everywhere. And for the once that once Volcker came in, actually crushed the back of inflation and started off this bull market in bonds. This Henry Kaufman was bearish on bonds the whole way for the next decade. Wow! And I worry that uh, if you kind of take a step back and think about things from a longer term perspective, we're about to have a shift. We're going to have a shift away from monetary policy towards more fiscal policy, and in doing so, we're going to sow the seeds for more inflation going forward. And for people that are overweight bonds at these terrible prices, because let's face it, you're buying a bond that's a 30-year bond, it's like the U.S. long bonds yielding 2%, their inflation target is 2%. That means on a real basis, if they achieve their target, you're going to earn zero. You know, I, I, I don't think a lot of Canadians own a lot of bonds, uh, certainly not the clients and prospects I speak to. But you know, it's funny because Europeans hold a lot of debt. European... Um, uber wealthy and 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 well-to-do bourgeois, uh, for example, in Austria, um, these multimillionaires will put their money in debt instruments over equity instruments, and they will buy two percent paper. Uh, it's incredible. They they like safety. Europeans like safety. Americans, North Americans, are comfortable taking risk. We're our public markets are so much more sophisticated, more accepted uh, than they are, I think, anywhere else in the world. I think that's again a very interesting uh, phenomena. It's also an opportunity, I think, for Canadians to be able to piggyback on the success of the American markets and the breadth of the American markets as they are a cousin next door. It's easy to operate in a similar time zone with a almost similar type currency. Look, I'm going to go to commercial break here. This is Hi-Fi Radio. got Kevin Muir in the studio, uh, a director at East-West Money Management. Uh, I'm more of a north-south type guy, and that's what makes the world go round. Uh, Global News Radio Network 640 in Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. All right. Welcome back to the show, and good morning to you. It is Hi-Fi Radio. And I'm Wolfgang Klein, your host of the show. Jack Hartle is off, uh, but we've got the big brain joining us here, Mr. Michael Graham. He's one of our analysts. He works on Wall Street. And, uh, well, I almost uh, rubbed shoulders with him at the uh, Canaccord Genuity Growth Conference in Boston, of which I attended and learned so very much. But uh, Michael was uh, out entertaining uh, clients and getting them set for their next speak. It was just uh, uh, three days of constant uh, learning and uh, sat in front of dozens of, uh, of companies presenting very, various wares. And it's just incredible how uh, the world really has changed. You know, in 60 seconds, in 60 seconds, 266,000 hours of Netflix is consumed. In 60 seconds, 3.7 million Google searches take place. And in 60 seconds, just under a million Facebook logins occur. Yep. And this is Michael Graham's backyard that he plays in, his sandbox. Uh, so uh, thanks for joining us again on the show, Michael. 
Thanks, Wolfgang. It's good to be here. It's always great to be on. So, uh, yeah, so Michael covers uh, the likes of Google, Amazon, eBay, Facebook, Lyft, Netflix, PayPal. Uh, a stock I don't own is Square, and that's a very, very cool company because I, I purchased a uh, wood carving in front of the home hardware store in Minden, Ontario, one Saturday morning, and they had these dudes with chainsaws, and they were carving up birds and bears, and uh, I bought a wizard. Uh, I thought about the stock market wizard. Uh, very, very cool. And I said, well, uh, guy, I don't have 300 cash on me. How do I pay you? He said, no problem. Just, uh, uh, I'll get my phone, and you'll just tap your, phone, my, your credit card on my phone, and it's all done. I said, really? And sure enough, and this was a couple years ago, and sure enough, uh, that's what he did. Out came his cell phone and a little tippity-tap, and uh, payment went through, debited to my card, and uh, I walked away with the wizard. Very, very cool carving. And sure enough, it was Square that uh, powered that transaction. And uh, So let's talk about uh, a couple of different fields, Michael. I want to talk to you about, of course, the shared economy, which you are an expert in. And I also want to talk to you about the digitization uh, of commerce. Uh, and why don't we start with that, the digitization of commerce, because uh, uh, we're seeing more and more <laughs> transactional occur digitally and less and less fiat, less and less paper, uh, and I guess gold coins for that matter, being transacted. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Square earlier, um, and I had a very similar experience recently too, Wolf there. I mean, first of all, we really like that company. We've got to buy on the stock. We think it's um, going to have a lot of growth ahead. Uh, you know, a lot of their growth is coming from very high margin software and services revenue, which is which is driving you know profits. Um, but I had a uh, an electrician come out to do something at my house, and uh, he, you know, billed me uh, through through Square, and I paid him via Apple Pay, uh, and the whole thing, you know, took just a couple minutes, and that's, you know, a very, you know, uh, a relevant example of what Square is doing, and um, they're also bringing cash into the Square ecosystem and then, you know, leveraging it in, in different ways, so they're also, you know, developing a tremendous amount of float as well, so... Um, you know, just really innovative and helping merchants serve their customers in a lot of great ways. But it's incredible because the space of, of digital payments, it seems simple, but it's not because there are a lot of silos that you can invest in and a lot of uh, participants in each silo. What I mean is there are the companies that produce the credit cards, the company that produce the embedding of the chips, the companies that handle the payment processing, the companies that offer the billing part. You got the credit card companies. Then you got the various software around all of it. It's complicated, you know, I, I own a company called Fizzerv, uh, so so they are part of that ecosystem. And again, that's a stock that's working very very well. Now you you also own PayPal, so that's part of that same ecosystem where you cover PayPal. Let's talk about that stock. Um, uh, I think the latest quarter wasn't that robust, if I recall correctly. Stock gave back just a little bit. Uh, do you think the company still has legs being spun out now from eBay? I mean, PayPal is one. You know, we we used to have a buy on it. We've had a hold rating on it for a little while here. And, you know, really the, the thesis there is that um, we do believe that they can continue to be successful with growing the top line, but increasingly we see that coming at, in terms of lower margins and we're not, you know, certain that they can keep, you know, profits growing as quickly. Uh, you know, the company did come through a couple of recent headwinds. Um, you know, they did lose, you know, post the, the separation from eBay, which took place, you know, a couple of years ago, they did lose eBay as, you know, a primary customer as eBay developed its own uh, payments platform. So, you know, that's been a headwind for PayPal. And then, um, you know, the other thing is as they've sort of moved to larger merchants, they've um, seen a little bit of take rate compression, and that's also been a bit of a headwind. And finally, you know, they're spending a lot 
on partnerships and product developments. You know, I think PayPal, um, you know, rightly recognizes that payments is going to, um, it's a growth area because it's changing so much. And I think PayPal is taking an approach where they're investing in and partnering in a lot of different vectors where the payments uh, uh, segment could go um, to try and make sure that they're positioned. You know, like one good example of that is they've got a really good partnership with Uber um, and an investment in Uber. And, you know, they should be able to kind of leverage that into more payments volume over time. But they're not exactly sure, I don't think, how that's going to that's gonna turn out. So those investments are also uh, pressuring margins a little bit in the short term. So, you know, I'd rather own Square than PayPal here. Although, you know, I do think even though we have a hold rating on, I think PayPal's a good company. It's being operated, you know, in a smart way. Well, look, um, Michael, here's my mantra uh, for this Saturday morning is I'm trying to help the audience become wealthy. And I believe the way they become wealthy is focusing on the following. Make money and increase your income. Spend less money and save your money. And if you do those three things, you will have something to invest, and then you hire someone like I. Um, part of, I think, uh, spending less money, perhaps, can be helped through the shared economy. Uh, I hope the net result for the shared economy is we save money, specifically on automotive. Uh, Michael Graham is an expert in that field. He's written a lot of papers on it. Uh, this is Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network. Pri- privilege to have Michael Graham, one of our analysts from Wall Street, on. We're going to talk about the, pay- or the shared economy right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You see, if I was Lyft or Uber, I would buy that song. Yep, and I'd run some good old traditional commercials around that. Well, who knows? Maybe they've been offered, eh? Uh, we got Michael Graham on the line. Played you a little CanCon from the Guess Who. Uh, Michael, are you a uh, Guess Who fan? Do you know who the Guess Who is? Uh, I do know who the Guess Who is, and yes, I am a fan. Uh, and I think that's a great song that you chose, and it's definitely emblematic of... Uh of what we're seeing in the in the sharing economy. Well, look, I came down to Boston to hang with you and uh, a bunch of other brilliant analysts and a lot of very cool companies. Again, the, the Canaccord Growth Conference that I attended, my good friends, is about growth. And we are living in a slow-growing economy that is slowly slowing even further. So finding companies with growth is where it's at. And, well, Mike Graham uh, is dealing with a bunch of growth companies. He covers them. And as such, he's a rock star. Uh, he's getting love, whereas if you're a oil guy, an oil miner, well, yeah, work on a rig, no love, no love for the rig, but lots of love for tech. Uh, so the shared economy, uh, and it's, the number that's amazing, Michael, this is the number that blows me away, is our car. Now, I have a 15-year-old car, so I'm not a car guy because I, well, I'm cheap and I want to save money. Uh, I'd rather buy stocks than buy myself a new car. Uh, but we use our car barely 5% of the time. The other 95% of the time, our car sits idle. And that's what this whole shared economy is leveraging off of. Plus the cities are getting more congested, plus parking's expensive, plus, plus, plus. So please speak to those trends, speak to the numbers that you're seeing. Um, and how's biz at Uber and Lyft these days? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right that your car sits idle, um, you know, almost 95% of the time. And uh, uh, that's bad because it ties up capital. Uh, and in addition to that, um, it, when it's sitting there parked, it takes up real estate, you know, either in a parking lot in a city or in your garage, in your home or whatever. But that, you know, is just more 
costs that need to be employed. And so, um, you know, the shared transportation networks like Lyft and Uber just make a lot of sense. Um, it, you know, and, and in addition to that, like even when people are using uh, uh, other types of vehicles besides personally owned vehicles, like let's say it's a taxi, you know, that system is very inefficient. You walk outside and just randomly hope for a taxi to go by uh, that doesn't have a person in it already. It just seems, you know, wildly uh, suboptimal. Um, and in the case of public transit, you know, you have to get to where the public transit starts and finishes in order to use it. And it's on a schedule, too, and that schedule may not be your own schedule. So it just really makes sense to have shared vehicles um, on demand, and um, that's what Lyft and Uber are up to. We see very strong uh, trends. You know, they both just came public, as you know, a little while ago, and they both reported uh, their second quarters as public companies uh, last week. Um, both of the companies had really good top-line trends, and they're growing, you know, dramatically. Obviously, Lyft is only focused on ride-sharing in cars in the United States, um, and they're doing really well. They had a much cleaner, you know, top-line uh, beat on their quarter. Um, Uber is focused on ride-sharing, but also on Uber Eats, which is food delivery business like Grubhub, and Uber Freight, which is much smaller. Um, helping, you know, commercial enterprises move commercial freight around. but um, And they're also uh, global, so they have some more noise in their numbers. They had a little bit less of a clean beat, but still, you know, a solid quarter. Overall, we think there's tons of growth ahead for these two companies. Um, and just to mention two more quick things about it, you know, one is that there are tremendous returns to data that these companies um, generate. They have very liquid you know, supply and demand on their networks, a lot of drivers looking to drive and a lot of riders looking to ride so they can use that data to create a platform that's very efficient and provides a ride at a low cost. Um, and, um, and we just think that, that, these, that these two companies are, have, a, have a bright future and we recommend both stocks. You know, there's a couple of interesting points you bring up. And again, this ties now back to the growth conference. Um, in terms, in terms of uh, electric vehicles, uh, again, that's Jed's department, Jed Dorsheimer, uh, who covers Tesla. But uh, I was at one of his presentations, and they had an expert come up, and they were speaking about charging, different charging stations, different means for charging your car. And we now have a universal plug that will work in all electric vehicles. Uh, Tesla has an adapter for their um, proprietary plug, but so their adapter allows it to be universal. And so that that's a positive step. We have universal now charging portals. Um, but there's this new technology, and th- this one blows me away. It's called wireless charging. We saw it with cell phones where you just basically put the phone on top of a pad and uh, electromagnetic current around one coil would then jump over to the other coil and cause charging without actually plugging a physical line into a into a jack. But there's a technology where you're able to now drive your car over a pad. So Michael spoke about the cost of just parking lots and parking your car. But picture yourself, I would have my car parked here at the Chorus Studios, just here in Lake Ontario. And as I'm doing this radio show, uh, my car could be charging just as I drove over a pad had. Uh, that's pretty revolutionary stuff. And, and the easier and the, and, and the more mindless we make all of this stuff, the easier it is to adapt all this stuff. But Michael, you also bring up a, an equally powerful point. And again, I want everyone to understand this as, as we're all worried about data breaches, because we are, each and every one of us, becoming little zeros and ones, bits and bytes of data. And the world is collecting so much 
data. It sounds kind of scary. I think you just have to accept it. But what can come out of this data, Michael, is ginormous. And again, I, I learned about it at, at our conference through the Life Sciences Division, because again, when they're running these tests or, or doing cancer diagnostics on people, they're also collecting data. And the more data, the larger the sample size, the better the output. The, and so speak to me, please, Michael, about collecting data. The, the ramifications from it and, and the spinoff benefits uh, to both perhaps company and consumer. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, we see it in our, in our universe of, you know, sort of Internet tech related companies all over the place. And, you know, I do just want to mention like, like that uh, future of transport event that Jed uh, hosted at our conference that you saw uh, was, was a great uh, event, Wolfgang. Um, uh, we, you know, we started doing these thematic half-day uh, half events, you know, the day before the conference, and um, that Future of Transport one was really great. It was. Uh, it was the panel there with two of the leading electric scooter companies, um, and, uh, you know, we just got a lot of great information about that. On the data thing, like, we're seeing data across all of our companies. You know, Facebook uses tons of data. Or do they? <laughs> that, that we all know. <laughs> as well. Um, you know, you look at Google Maps, and it's just an incredible array of data. You know, where, where it's really important for Uber and Lyft is that, um, you know, these companies, like, like this is a duopoly. And, um, and, you know, Uber and Lyft are a duopoly in the U.S., and Uber, you know, has a lot of other duopolies in other markets with different players, you know, internationally. Um, in order to, and we've seen, you know, a hallmark of the Q2 results was that pricing has started to go up a little bit because um, the competition is uh, settling down a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, if they can maintain duopoly structures, it'll be really good for them. And why we think they can is because, um, they can use all the data about who's waiting for a ride, how much they're willing to pay for a ride, who's waiting to drive, how much and where do they need to be. Um, you know, how can they telegraph to drivers when to come on and when to come off so that the drivers can earn a good hourly wage. All those things are things that um, with the size and scale that Uber and Lyft have developed, they can do it and a startup would have trouble doing it. And we think that's important. You know, again, business has changed. Business strategy has changed. Uh, you know, 100 years ago, if a new sector emerged, competition would be fierce. There'd be 100 players. I don't care what industry, there were 100 players. Today, when a new industry emerges, it tends to be tech-focused and there tends to be a monopolistic approach with one company, i.e. Google, uh, or a duopolistic type environment, which is exactly what Michael Graham's referring to with the Lyft, PayPal, uh, you know, the social network, same thing. There's a few players and that's it, right? Uh, you got Facebook. Uh, you have uh, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. You have WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook. And you have Twitter, which is owned by Donald Trump, I guess. Well, you, the, the one, one thing that's really interesting is like in some of these monopolistic, you know, uh, markets where this com these companies sit in between consumers and advertisers, uh, you know, one side of that uh, equation, which is the consumer's, doesn't really have a problem with that monopoly because it's a free service. It's right. Google Maps is free. It's remarkable that what they give you for free. I totally agree. Michael, let me just go to commercial break here if you don't mind. Um, otherwise, their sponsors will fire me. We don't want that because I want to keep hanging with you on the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto, and it's called Hi-Fi Radio. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Yeah, a little more CanCon. That's called Canadian content for you. 
It is Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto, and I am the host, Wolfgang Klein, also portfolio manager. Look, if you have any questions about money, anything, uh, please feel free to give me a call. I'm your friend. Uh, WolfgangKlein.com is the website where you will find me. Uh, I'm easy to find. You can Google me. Yes, that's all you do. Google me. Isn't that amazing, Michael? Uh, we don't need to uh, spew out phone numbers anymore. I just Google uh, it, it solves. It's amazing to what a powerful tool. And of course, we're speaking about Google Maps as we uh, use our cars 5% of the times. And uh, it's incredible because, you know, people now use Google Maps to, to go to the corner store. What are you doing? Um, yep, but gone are the pearlies. Uh, did you know what a pearlies is, uh, Michael? You're in New York, obviously. Are you familiar with that I brand? I don't know. I have to admit. I yeah. No, pearlies used to manufacture maps. They, they, they would print maps in various forms. You go to Canadian Tire and buy your pearlies. And, you know, little neighborhoods would uh, be. Uh, uh, created so they'd have to update the Pearly's map and uh, names of streets would get changed. You have to update the Pearly's map and you have to buy a new map every now and then. Plus it got torn and tattered. Um, but it, it, it really is incredible um, uh, using Google Maps. And yet that is just the beginning. Okay, Mike, we don't got a lot of time left, but you know what is very exciting to me? And again, it's part of growth. I need to invest in growth companies right now because that's what the market is demanding. Find me growth and low growth environment. Uh, can you speak please to 5G network, 5G that's coming to the world, and what it's going to mean for all of us. Yeah, you know, this is really the the, air, the, the area of focus of my colleague, Mike Walkley, who covers Qualcomm and covers some of that stuff. But I, I just know that 5G, I mean, look, one of the things that's super important as we think about all these connected services, uh, the way that Uber works, the way that Google Maps works, is we need it, uh, the way that YouTube works. Um, you know, we need it to be fast and we need it to be um, seamless and work all the time and everywhere. And, you know, the 5G technology allows um, all these networks to operate, you know, at higher and more reliable, more consistent speeds. Um, so, you know, we're, we're big fans of that. You know, we sort of cut we, at times we take it for granted um, that these speeds are going to keep developing. Um, and, you know, Wolfgang, I just want to real quick circle back. Like yeah. you mentioned, our growth conference, it's become such a hub in Boston every August of activity. I was just looking at some stats. We had um, over uh, 600 institutional investors there. We had 1,000 presenters. Um, We had uh, 9,000 one-on-one meetings between investors and companies. 9,000? And that's why I couldn't book. When I was trying to get a few booked for myself, I couldn't do it. (laughs) You laugh. I I missed out on the one-on-one. I couldn't even see you. You were so busy uh, at the event. You know what? Actually, it's funny you speak about that conference because I got a good old-fashioned idea out of it, and it's advertised up here in Canada. It's called Generac, and I just bought the stock uh, for clients and for myself. Uh, But the 5G network is basically a bunch of cell towers operating at full capacity. But... With 5G comes autonomous driving, which means you don't have to drive your car. The car will drive for you. Um, But if the tower goes down, oh, you may skid off the road. So you can no longer allow cell sites to go down. They must be backed up with power. And the American grid is 45 years old. I don't know if ours is much better here in Canada. But power continues to be very, very important. I'll tell you something else, Michael Graham. Jack brought a good point. Consumer discretionary items. Um, uh, I think they're called discretionary. Anyways, washers and dryers, televisions and the likes. They have become more 
power efficient, but by becoming more power efficient, they're running fuller bore and therefore they're lasting less long. It makes me sick. Televisions today, Michael, last about four years. Washers last about five years. I got a real problem with this. Uh, and I, I, Jack says it's because of power efficiency demands. Um, again, I, I know I'm pivoting away from our, our point of conversation, but you know, we want everything quick. We want everything now. We want the latest and greatest, but some of the latest and greatest isn't actually that great. And technology can be very frustrating when it doesn't work because uh, my TV's on the brink. Therefore, I can't get into my Netflix right now. So the stuff that I'm relying on when it doesn't work, oh, good golly, it's game off, isn't it? Oh, man, we, we are relying on technology more and more, and, and you really need it to work all the time. Uh, and it's only going to get uh, it's only going to get either worse or better, depending on your perspective. Glass is full, um, buddy. Half full. She's going to get better. <laughs> Yeah. Michael, look, it's, it's a real pleasure to, to speak with you again on the show. Uh, good job at the conference. It really was a great conference. Such a good conference. Uh, Mr. Peter Lynch shows up each and every year. He's the author of One Up on Wall Street. If there's a book you want to read in the stock market, that'd be one of my top 10. One Up on Wall Street, Peter Lynch. Uh, of course, I rub shoulders with him as I do each and every year. Uh, he's like, I can't, I can't wait for me to... Let, let the hug off, but uh, it's always cool to see him down at the conference. Uh, my friends, I want to wish you all a great weekend. Be safe, be well, be prosperous, and don't forget, make money, spend less, save, and when you're ready to invest, you can always give me a call, WolfgangKlein.com. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.